This is my Bible. I am what it says that I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. Oh, yeah. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be, will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. Come on, give God a hand for the word. You may be seated. Thank you. Just a shout out to some dear friends of Robert and I, Paul and Melody on the front row from Kentucky. It's good to have you here today. Such sweet friends of ours. Melody was here at the Bloom Conference last year and gave a wonderful testimony. I want to continue last week what I started on He Healed My Heart. Man, that's handsome fella. Lord, Photoshop. Uh, um, I, I just felt like as I prayed this week, I needed to kind of go one more step further. So this is going to be a part two. I shared my story and Robin's story last week with you. Uh, as in the nicest, most vulnerable way as I could. Uh, I don't often enjoy uh, standing up sharing failures, but my belief is that it, though a failure in the past that is a scar today is now hope for other people. And uh, that's what I've learned. And I learned it the hard way. But uh, So I kind of left off last week that everybody you know, that's a believer, we've probably been hurt, disillusioned, failed, and in the reality of that, you can do one of two things. You can regret it and that scar becomes so painful you never discuss it again. Or you can turn the corner and yet use that for hope, to bring hope to people. And so I think that's where Robin and I have landed in our life. We've, we've landed in 31 years, right? This week we'll be married 31 years to each other. <laughs> Such a wonderful, precious woman of the Lord. And uh, in that 31 years, I think both of us is deci have decided it's not so fun to 
look back and share your failures with people, but because we believe what we believe about our faith, we believe that that can inspire others to find hope and maybe help you miss some of the potholes along the way we may have stepped in. And so I felt to just kind of pick up from last week and then just kind of take off again with helping you find healing for your heart. And by the heart, I don't necessarily mean physical, but I mean emotional, relational, all the things that life throws at us, Jesus in the world, you'll have trouble, all the troubles that can come, the disillusionments, the disappointments. Uh, and so here was the thought we left off with last week. Uh, better, this is our very last point. Better is not a moment, it's a process. And as I thought about that, I, you know, it, it just sounded romantic to end that way, right? Like we only have a certain amount of time on a given Sunday just to end with it's, it's a process and then we all just walk out but not really know what that is. What is the process of that? I mean, and, and by this thought, this is where we ended last week, that many of God's people are looking for a moment. Uh, they want somebody to pray for them and then everything is fixed. Or have a pity party for them and they feel better. But over time, my moments are very few. But my moments when they enter a process become very wide and I have a lot of testimonies now. I have testimonies because I learned to go through the process and I hate to use this word because it sounds like I don't think God's involved. But I earned the moment. Meaning I stuck it out with God and I hung in there with the Lord through the process and, and I came out on the other side a victor. I came out on the other side with a testimony. And so here's the thought for this week. Maybe this will kind of help you understand why I felt I needed to keep going. The process reveals the mess because it exposes the real you. Your beliefs, your fears your feelings, and your frustrations. If you ever want to know what you're made out of, go through the process. You can't fake it. You can't hide it. Now here on Sunday morning, you can. How you doing, brother? Great. How you doing, sister? Wonderful. But when you're in the process, you can't hide it from people. They figure it out. They watch you. Your children figure it out. Your children realize there's something here going on with you, Dad, that the real you is coming out. You tell me to trust the Lord, but you're falling apart. Coming home drunk every night. You're screaming, you're hollering, whatever that would be, right? And in the process, your faith will be defined. It's easy in here to go, praise God, I trust Him, but you really don't know you trust Him until there's nothing else to do but trust Him. Right? I mean, that's just honest. Uh, the belief system, my belief system usually doesn't come out until we hit rock bottom. And then you'll know what people believe about God in that moment. And then as we're all humans, right, the fears, feelings, and frustrations, they, they just come out when things aren't going well. And again, I wish I could just say once you're saved, everything goes well. I love that plan. I like it. I fight for it. But I also try to be smart enough that if Jesus says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, it does at least give me insight that there's something in the world fighting against me. And Jesus, as I said, in the world you'll have trouble. But 
be of good courage. I've overcome. This is the faith that overcomes the, our victory as our faith that overcomes the world. So I, I have to be smart enough that even though I'm a Christian, that I'm probably going to bump into a problem or a trouble, and I'm going to have to learn how to fight through it. So let's go back to what Ryan read. Because in this story, this story is going to reveal the mess at hand. It's romantic when we read it. He even made a, a kind of a joke of it's the Christmas story. It's romantic. It feels good. It's the story of Mary and little baby Jesus and the cute little shepherds that come. And then two years later, the, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh as is, is the cattle are lowing and the poor baby wakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I'd like to meet the dude that wrote that. Because <laughs> I bet that song is a lie. Because I bet baby Jesus was screaming, it's hot in here. Right? Never seen a baby that's not crying. But the song, even the song is romantic. Little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. But the, but the reality is not romantic. And I think, this is my opinion, I think that many Christians are looking for the romantic Jesus rather than the real one. They want romance. They want everything to just be perfect. Marriage is perfect. Life is perfect. Job is perfect. And even though we know there's no way that could be true, we still somehow idolize the fantasy in our mind. I'll show you how weird I was when I met Robin 31 years ago. I had known her for a couple of months. I proposed to her. That shows you how much faith I had. Met her in September, proposed in December, married in July. And I literally told my parents. They said, well, we want to just give you some heads up on how to have a good marriage. I said, Dad, we're going to have a great marriage. We're never going to fight. <laughs> my dad just looked at me like, you're an idiot. <laughs> and I'm like, not me. I am a mighty man of God. I would never argue. I even looked over. She was in there with me. I looked over. I said, there's no way I could ever argue with this woman. She's just everything I've ever prayed for. Now, that's why God lets you be deceived because otherwise you wouldn't get married. <laughs> Everybody going in is deceived, and that's the way God intended it to be. And my dad just laughed, and sure enough, 31 years, we've had some good, uh, good knockdown drag outs of who's right and who's wrong. She wins every time. I'm good with that. I have, no, I have no problem. So when we read this, it does read romantic. It, and Christianity in itself is romantic. Your sins are forgiven. He'll heal you. He'll, he'll restore you. He'll bring freedom. He'll fix your marriage. I mean, the whole message is romanticized. It's romanticized in this is that we say that all of that summed up is called the good news. And that even romanticizes the whole thing. Because you almost assume, well, if it's good news, I'll never hear the bad news. And if I do, I rebuke it. And it still comes anyway. So let's read it and unromanticize the Christmas story. Thank you, Ryan, in the middle of July. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, 
to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. It's already romantic. She's going to marry a prince. Oh, man, oh, man. She's never slept with anybody. She doesn't have a bunch of baggage to her. Just as sweet as she could be. About 15 years old, according to history. She's going to get married to a, a descendant of the king. She's going to marry a prince. Don't you know daddy's happy? Daddy's like, man, I have saved my girl for such a time as this, and now she's marrying into a royal bloodline. She's not marrying a jerk, hallelujah. She's not marrying somebody who's just on wick. Come on, Jesus. She's marrying a prince. Some of you took a while to get that one, but I threw it out there just to see if you were paying attention. <laughs> Gabriel appeared to her. Oh, it's even more romantic. She's chatting with angels. Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Next verse. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. Still romantic. Because I'm still thinking, me and Joseph are going to have a little boy. We're going to name him Jesus. How cool is this? I always wondered if I could get pregnant. Now I know the angel has told me I shall be pregnant. But she's a little confused because she's thinking, I don't really understand, but I do, but I don't. Next verse. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. So she's very proud of herself. It's romantic. I've kept myself pure. Maybe she's not even kissed a boy yet. She's just, she's just remained daddy's little girl. Pure and holy. She's having chats with angels. Man, I, I, that'd just be awesome. One of my kids was like that. Like, not that they're not virgins, but just, you know, chatting with angels, marrying princes. She said, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and the baby born will be holy. It's even getting more romantic because now your baby's going to be God. And most parents think their child is, but we all know it's a lie. We birthed the devil. <laughs> most of us birthed a devil. It's like, where did this kid come from? Where did these demon eyes come from? Like they learned to pitch a fit without even looking at YouTube videos. They just perfectly pitch fits. Like, well, have you been teaching them? No, they just do it on their own. Not this woman. It's romantic. She's going to birth God and literally God. Like her baby is God. Like that means you're not even going to have to worry about math and science. He's God. He created it all. You imagine what homeschooling's like. Every time you go to teach him, you're like, shut up, mom, I already know. Don't even have to do homework because you already know all the answers to everything. Your kid wins at every race. Every picnic, your child is in first place. Every time they have some kind of trivia, your kid wins. It's God. What kind of awesome is this? Your kid gets the honor roll all the time on the dean's list all the time. Has never. Could you imagine the kid has never cursed? Never thrown anything, never pitched a fit, never kicked the cat. That's romantic. <laughs> that is romantic. Man, kids will kick you, spit on you, tell you you're fat and ugly. They just tell you the truth. Not her kid. Her kid's God. Her kid doesn't have trouble sleeping because he's the son of the most high. He's peace himself. Could you imagine every night you lay your baby down, it's already asleep before you even get to the room. 
Because he's peace. He's never miserable because he's joy. Just weird, right? The whole story is just the most weird, romantic Christmas story. It's why we tell it at Christmas. Next verse. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you said about me come true. And the angel left her. Now, as romantic as it is, I'm about to unromanticize it for you. Here it is. Here's the process. The process happens to all of us this same way. Whether you live in 2021 or whether you live back there with the baby, this process is the same process we all go through, regardless of the problem, the trouble at hand. The process is the womb to the tomb to the upper room to the bridegroom. The womb. It's the moment you say yes to doing life God's way. It's the moment you step into the process and say, I'm in the middle of this life. I have my life figured out. She had her life figured out. I'm marrying a prince in the line of a king. We have us a place to live. Everything is well. The home is already ready. The wedding plans are made. And then God steps in and creates a process. It's different than your plans. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's way. And in a moment, he steps in and says, We're going to do life my way, Mary. And that's not always romantic. The Christian journey is not always romantic. But if we're going to get to the end and have a testimony, every one of us have to say yes to the process. So when she says, be it unto me according to thy word, that's that's how she's taught if you didn't know. (laughs) The moment she says, whatever you said about me, let it be true to me. I trust your word. Now, in that moment, that little girl stepped into the process of God to become something of a testimony so that you and I could rejoice. But this is how unromantic it is. The moment she said, be it unto me, she's got a problem. And the problem is she comes from a religious family. And Deuteronomy chapter 22 says... If a woman goes to her marriage bed, not a virgin. Here it is. This is weird. The daddy of Mary is to take her to the front porch of the house, call the men of the village to come by with rocks, and they stone the girl on the front porch of daddy. That's their religion. Deuteronomy 22. So the moment she says yes to getting pregnant without getting married, she has to come and tell her father, I'm pregnant, but I never slept with Joseph. And now there's not the romance of this little girl. There's the ingrained, if you get pregnant before you get married, your father will have you stoned on the front porch of the home you grew up in. So now when the little 15-year-old goes, sure, You know it's not as romantic as our Christian story makes it out to be. Because she has to say, whatever God wants, I'm willing to take the risk to get where he wants me to be. 
Number two, if she says yes, her husband is going to divorce her. She's going to lose the prince. We know this is true throughout the Gospels because it says Joseph had in mind to divorce her. He was already ticked. The moment she says yes to God, it hurts every relationship. My mother, my father, all my friends are going to disown me. My daddy's going to stone me and my husband's going to leave me. But you know what? Let me say yes to that. I, don't, I can't even fathom who would say yes to that. Let me lose my husband, lose my house, lose my integrity, lose my character. My father's going to kill me. I will be the laughing stock of the town. Sure, why not? Because the moment she says yes, the womb has to be dealt with. And this is the process for all of us. And I just wonder if, if we're really as Christians willing to say yes to the process because in the initial first step, it's very embarrassing. To admit you really have a problem. To admit you really are broken. To admit that life is not going the way you wished it would. But I'm going to say yes to God anyway. And I'm going to have to risk a lot of things. I'm going to have to risk some dreams and some old habits and some old this and that. And excuses I've used. But, but I'm going to step into this process. And I find that most people never really come to laying down how much they're willing to risk to really get better. I just don't want to, I don't want to invest the money into counseling. I, I just don't want to read that book. I'm not a reader. Ugh. I just don't want to go and... I, just, I, I tell you, I just want to self-fix myself. I don't want to risk this thing. So when you hear her say, be it unto me... Please always remember, she's risking getting stoned by her father, the laughing stock of the village. She's losing her reputation. She's losing her virginity. She's going to lose her husband. She's going to lose her dream house. It's not romantic. But because she stepped into it, you're here today. Because a 15-year-old girl said, I will take the pain in the process to see God do what God wants to do. Because if I'm going to birth the Son of God, I've got nine months of the womb. This is why I tell you, it's not always a moment. Yes, Lord, be it unto me. She can fake it now for about three months. Mary must be happy she's putting on a few. Right? You can, you can kind of skirt pregnancy for four or five months, maybe. Where, especially then with big baggy clothes. She looked like she got a food baby. Well, she couldn't be pregnant. She's not been with anybody. So there, there is a process where as you're moving through it, you can kind of skirt the problems and the issues, but if you're going to keep moving with God, you better know God's going to expose everything. He's going to expose the fears, the frustrations, the weaknesses, the habits, the addictions. God will expose it because he wants to birth something incredible out of you. But before God can birth something incredible through you, he's got to deal with you. Your fears, your hurts, your dreams, what you want. In other words, he's got to get you out of the way to do something. And this is hard. Nobody wants to get out of the way. The reason I got saved is so God could make my dreams come true. The reason I got saved is so he would give me a house and give me a husband and give me a wife and fix all my problems. That's why I got saved. Rather than stepping in and saying the womb is the death to self. 
The womb is where you die to you. The womb is where you say enough of me and more of God. The womb is where you say I can't fix myself. I've tried. I just have to trust the Lord. And then it moves to the tomb. Now from the womb to the tomb we have 33 years. We do find out through the Christmas story that she survived. We don't really know how. The Bible doesn't tell us how her daddy dealt with it. We know she went off and hung out with Elizabeth, so what we do conjecture is she hid out for several months with Elizabeth in her aunt's home so they wouldn't kill her. So when she goes over there, it seems romantic. She's hanging out with Aunt Elizabeth, but the reality is she was probably there because her father didn't want her, as any father, doesn't want her daughter dead, his daughter dead. So the womb we get the beautiful, she burst the baby, right? Like God showed up. That's just the beginning. Because now 33 years, and we get a lot of silence. We don't get much of 33 years. It's just like God says, all right, I don't want to tell you a lot. I just want to, I want to birth the thing, and I'll tell you a few stories. You get one story from the womb to about the tomb, and it's that she lost him. That's the story God throws in there. Let me just tell you how it's going to go. You're raising God, you lose him, right? Twelve years old, you lose God. How, how awesome. It's not romantic. You have to think this girl loses God. And so in her mind, oh, I'm raising God. I just lost God. Where is he at? I thought you had him. I don't have him. I thought you had him. I don't ever have This is Joseph. I don't ever have him. He's God. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. I don't want him mad at me. But they lose him, and that's all you get. You get one story, and it's you lost God. And then 30 years later, we end up with the ministry of Jesus. But this little mama hung in there with this boy for 30 years. She changed his diapers. She nursed him. She raised him. She mothered him. She took him to the temple. She taught him the law. She was just a good mama. And I'm finding out that a lot of us don't do well with just staying faithful in the boring times. You still read, you still pray, you still go to church. Not a blooming thing happening. But I'm going to keep going. Well, why would you go? It just seems so lifeless. Why do you keep reading your Bible? You don't get much out of it just because that's what you do. And she did it and she gets to the tomb. And now this is where it gets really unromantic. This is Easter. Very unromantic because now the Son of God she's raised and poured her heart into and her dreams into and her life into is now beaten to a bloody pulp. He's innocent. And the weird thing from the womb to tomb, just to show you how crazy unromantic it is, the kid that you have that is called God by God himself is going to be known as the son of the devil, a lunatic. Your other children won't even get along with him. He's going to stir up problems everywhere he goes. He's going to be a rebellious in nature to the culture. He's going to be a, an anathema to the religious of the day. This is your kid. Your kid is going to create chaos everywhere he goes. He's a revolutionary. He can't just be normal. So mom is raising a revolutionary. 
It's her kid that's causing the chaos. It's her kid that's stirring up the town. It's her kid that has all the religious people ticked off. It's her kid that flipped over all the tables and now she as a mother's got to go, I know, he's just had a little bad day. But she makes it all the way to the tomb. Mary's still there with him. They beat her son to a pulp. He's innocent. She has to watch her innocent baby die in front of her eyes. Standing next to the people that murdered him, she's standing there looking at him, but she's still in the game. She never gave up. I've asked myself, would I have that kind of faith? I have the faith to start the journey, but do I have the faith to go through the hard things? Because this is not the end of the story. This is the middle of the story. And what I found is in my faith, in the middle of my faith, I can often bump into things that I just don't want to deal with. A hurt, a, an abuse, a gossip, a pastor did me wrong, an ex did me wrong, a lover did me wrong, an uncle did me wrong. It's that moment where you're staring at your pain, you're staring at the Father forgive them for they know not what they do moment. You're standing by the people you can't stand that have hurt you the most, staring up at God. In those kind of moments of the process, it is very difficult to get through the tomb moment because this is where people start getting bitter. This is where people start blaming other people. This is where people make excuses. This is where people drop out of church. This is where people become agnostic and atheist. This is where people say there couldn't be a God because he let this happen. It couldn't be a God because he wouldn't let my dad do that to me. It couldn't be a God if he let my mother do this to me. There's no way. That's the tomb of life. It's the process we all go through. To bump into the things you feel like aren't fair. To bump into the things that are hard to explain to other people. Why did they murder him? He's innocent. I know, but I can't explain it. To try to explain to the mother who lost a child why they lost a child. I don't know. I know it hurts. These are the moments of the tomb and people get stuck there and they give up on God there and they run off like all the other disciples. They tuck tail and run. As a matter of fact, what we get from the scriptures, only John and, uh, and Jesus' mother were the only two that were really there telling us not many people can deal with the tomb. But after the tomb, we find Mary, if you read the story in the book of Acts, we find Mama is in the upper room. She never gave up. She was still going to be part of what God wanted to do. I did my part. I birthed the thing. I watched him die. But she could, she could have easily said, enough. I, I just, I'm tired. I've been hurt. I've, I've used all my prayers up. I've prayed. All, I've cried so much. You don't know how much I've cried. I have no more tears left. I've done my part. I've served for, I'm in my 40s now. She's probably going on 50 about now. She's in her 50s. She paid her dues, man. She did her time. Not Mary. Because Mary knows you're not here just to do your dues and pay your time. You're here to continually be used by God to bring about the kingdom. And at some 50 years old, if she was 15 and Jesus died at 30, she's in her late 40s at best. And she shows up in a hot upper room with 120 other people having no clue what's about to happen. And she gets baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because after the pain, after the hurt, after the scars, after the disappointments, after the loneliness, after the depression, after the addictions, there's still stuff God wants to do in you. Don't ever give up. 
There's still things God wants to do in Robin and I. Don't ever give up. And then the beautiful thing is, and this is just weird, mom's up there with her son, now the bridegroom Jesus. The end result is mom is seeing him in all of his glory. Now, this is the process for all of us. Will you risk saying yes? Will you bypass the hurts? Will you keep running for God when it doesn't feel like anything's working? And will you stay faithful to the end so when you die, you're ushered into His presence? That's the process. And yet, if we, if we kind of polled the room, here's what I know. The womb is the same for everybody. It's the moment you just got to go, enough of me and God needs to take over, baby. But it's the tomb that separates the men from the boys and the girls from the ladies. Because everybody's tomb is different. The womb is the same. I said yes to do life God's way. The upper room is the same. Fill me with your spirit, God. Help me in my hurts. The bridegroom is the same. We all get ushered in if we believe into his presence. It's that green word tomb that throws us for a loop because it's hard to define. What is it? When does it come? How does it come? What does it look like? What does it smell like? It's different for everybody. For some, it's a divorce. For another, it's a sickness. For another, it's a loss. For another, it's a frustration. Another, it's a disappointment. Another, it's an addiction. It hits us all differently, but when it hits us, don't ever think that the tomb has more power than the upper room. Don't ever get stuck there. I know it's going to feel like it. I know it's going to feel like you're at the end. I know it's going to feel like Robin wants to give up and I want to give up, but, but don't give up. Hold on. Press on. Take another step. Trust Him. Because when the Spirit comes, it gives you the motivation. I'm going to believe through this. I'm going to believe past this hurt. So I got four things that I did in my womb to the upper room to get me through the tomb. So the four things I'm going to share with you are going to help you get through that green moment. And I don't know, maybe you've hit it, maybe you hadn't hit it. But it, we usually have to hit it because it's just life. And it seems unfair. I wish it wasn't. But I'm here to give you hope. There's a blue one coming. Here you go. Are you ready to risk it? Yes or no? All right, five of you ready. Rest and ponder. <laughs> Here's the first one. My belief has to be bigger than my battle and my faith must outlast my frustration. If you're going to make it through the process, you better believe something bigger than your problem. Because when you hit it, the problem screams bloody murder. And it screams loud. You will never make it. I'm sure it screamed loud in Robin. He's a jerk. Why didn't you leave him? Uh, voices that come. You're a failure. You're a loser. And you have to know when you hit the tomb, the voices are screaming, Crucify him! Crucify him! And you're hearing that as a mother. Oh my God, they're, why would they choose Barabbas? That's my boy. My boy's done nothing wrong. You know that when you get to the tomb moment, you're going to hear the voices that say, Give up. The voices that say he's not going to answer this prayer. The voices that say just deal with it. It is what it is. No. You don't have to live that way. 
You have to say like Mary, no, I know what God has told me and what he told me is going to happen to me. My battle is not going to define me. His word is going to define me. Now that is the first step in entering the process. Your belief has to be bigger than the battle. And I will tell you something, the battle screams. You Google the battle, you YouTube the battle, you talk to friends who are in the battle, you're going to lose. You have to have a belief that's bigger than that battle. Robin going through the cancer she went through, her belief had to be bigger than the battle. And oh man, I was there the night she was crying and I could hear her next to me going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. You could just feel the tension in her mind as her mind is racing. I guess maybe three weeks she battled for three weeks, this woman of God is battling. You're not going to make it. You're, you're going to die. You won't see your children. Those, those words that kept hitting her in her mind. But I love the fact that my sweet bride chose to, to have faith more than the frustration and to believe bigger than the battle because I don't remember when, but there was a moment where she literally, it was just like she goes, all right, I'm ready. I was like, oh, Lord, what just happened? Well, her belief kicked in. And once her believing kicked in, the battle took a back seat to the faith. It was still there, but she's winning now. So here's the scripture. I'm going to give you a scripture with everyone. I fought the good fight. I finished my race and I've remained faithful. How many of you know the process is a fight? Fight. Don't give up. Believe for that marriage. Believe for that healing. Don't just throw in the towel in my life. You're so welcome to the world. Fight. Hold on to what God has promised you. Fight the good fight, not the bad one. The bad one is, poor pitiful me, it's your fault. No, fight the good fight. Fight the fight that says, I know what the Lord says about me. And I'm going to believe that. Here, so here's what you do. Do this. All right? Take a picture, screenshot it. I literally mean do it. <laughs> It's not a sermon. It's to help you, right? Write down everything God has said to you concerning your mess. Rehearse it daily. That's the good fight. Write down what God says. I love the fact that in my wife's bathroom, I don't know why, maybe all women do this. It's weird to me. They write with lipstick on the mirror. I'm like, why'd you do that? But she's got scripture written in makeup. Scripture written in stuff. Scriptures posted. Scriptures all around. Scriptures on the mirror. Scriptures by the sink. What is she doing? She wrote down everything God said about her and she rehearsed it every day. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I will live and not die. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. And I will, I will see God. I will expand my tent borders. And I will see God do for me what I cannot do for myself. No weapon formed against me will prosper. She would hold on to that one all the time. No weapon formed against me will prosper. But see, if you're going to get through it, you better write it down. <laughs> when I was going through, I wrote a book. If anybody wants it, I got extra copies because it's not like I'm famous, so I give them away. How many copies do you sell? One, because nobody, but I gave a lot away. Um, 
but I, on July the 31st, 8.20 p.m., 1995, 120 Cornerstone Drive, with my head on Blue Vines Expository Dictionary, I chose to believe Matthew 18, 18, and 19 on a phone call with my mother that if any two of us on earth should agree as touching anything, it would be done for them by my Father which is in heaven, and every bit of fear, anxiety, and panic attacks had to let me go. And I wrote that down on a post-it note. July 31st, 8.20 p.m., 1995, 120 Cornerstone Drive with my head on a Blue Vines Expository Dictionary. I put my faith with my mother based on Matthew 18, 18 and 19. If any two of us agree on earth to touch anything, it'll be done for them by my Father which is in heaven. And therefore, fear, anxiety, and panic attacks have no right over me or power over me. Then the next day, July 31st, 8.20 p.m., 120 Cornerstone Drive with my head on a Blue Vines Expository Dictionary. And on the phone with my mother, I put my faith with her, Matthew 18, 18 and 19. They do of us earth agree to touch anything be done. Then my Father which is in heaven. And therefore, no panic attack, no fear has any right to my body. I'm free! Amen. Now, I didn't become free on July 31st. July 31st was the moment I said, I'm stepping into the womb. Whatever God says about me must be true. Well, it's not true. You're still having panic attacks. Nuh-uh, because on July 31st, 8.20 p.m., I chose to believe I will become what God says I'll become. Well, you're still waking up fearful with a racing heart. Oh, shut up, because on July 31st, I stepped into the life of God, and I left my life behind, and I carried it around on a Post-it note, and I kept it in my pocket, and I would roll down the windows and shout it, and I'm free. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know when I got free. And then because it's life, about 10 years later, I'm laying in bed one night. My heart starts racing. I hear the voices. I'm going to kill you. You're going to die. You're never going to make it. I rolled out of bed. And Robin woke up. She said, what are you doing? My exact words. I said, I got some business to take care of. Panic attack. Little Mark walked to the bedroom. I knelt down at the couch. I said, oh, no, devil. July 31st, 8.20 p.m., 1995, 120 Cornerstone Drive, Johnson City, Tennessee. I got delivered from a spirit of fear based on Matthew 18, 18, and 19, and I let him have it. I kicked him in the crotch. Ah! <laughs> you have no right over me because I will become what God said about me. Yeah. Not what you say, not what the world says. What God says is what I will become. And I had to fight for that. You can ask my wife. It got boring, I'm sure. It's in my book, a whole five pages just on this. If you will do this, you'll find freedom because you'll remind yourself who you are versus what the devil says. The next one is this. Seek God above all else. Most people, when they get into a problem, God takes the back seat until they get to the final end of the rope and tie a knot, and they're holding on for dear life. I better just trust God now. Oh, I'm all at the end. Well, why? Why did you slide all the way down to the rope before you decided to trust Him? Seek God above everything. Here's the scripture. Everybody knows it, I hope. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. And what happens? You get everything you need. But you got to put him out front. God cannot be the caboose. God has to be the whole train. So here's what you do. Most people don't like this. Pray daily. Praise daily. 
read the Bible daily, and surround yourself with people that give you pity parties. No. Surround yourself with people to encourage you. Go to church. Find somebody that'll pop you in the back of the head and tell you quit whining. You need to believe. Quit pouting and believe what God says about you. Didn't you write down everything you said? Well, then believe that. Now, if you're a husband, don't ever say that to your wife. It won't go well. You just go, it's all right, honey. But you need that. But you know, this is weird. You know statistically how few of God's people pray every day, praise every day, read the Bible every day, and surround themselves with good people? We pray occasionally if we're in trouble or over lunch or dinner. And I read the Bible if I have time, don't really understand it. I praise God as long as it's not too loud on Sunday. And I surround myself with friends who like doing what I like to do. And then they wonder, where's God and why is my life falling apart? So here's the next one. There's four of them. Expect mercy in the morning in spite of the mess in the evening. Now this is the most practical piece of advice I can give you. Meaning this, every day doesn't always end with a win. Do you get that? Every day doesn't end with a win. Sometimes you just wish you could not even go through that day. Sometimes you wonder, why am I even in this mess still? And you lay down, and everybody knows when you lay down, that's when the brain starts kicking in. I don't even know why you stayed married to him. Ain't nothing working. And, and it just starts. Well, expect mercy in the morning. Now, here's what I did. I was a classic to lay down and think, nothing's working, it's not going to work, I wish God would hurry up, poor pitiful me. And I had to train myself that every day I wake up, i got to start fresh, not start by packing the mess and bringing it with me. If I wake up, I leave the mess in the bed and I get going about my day. And I expect the favor of God. Here's the scripture. It's a beautiful scripture, Lamentations 3. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. And how often do His mercies come? Every 24 hours you get a brand new start. Some of you need to let it go because you've been dragging it for 10 years into the next morning. You got to just leave that problem there and wake up and go, I'm going to expect new things. This is the best piece of advice I can give you. Do this. Wake up thankful, go to bed thankful. It will, I know it's simple, but it will literally bring you peace. When you lay down and you're thinking, nothing happened good today, it's a terrible day, worst day, I wish you wouldn't even woke up, can't believe I don't ever want to do that day again. Rather than doing that, go to bed, Lord, I thank you that I'm alive. I thank you that I got my teeth, some of them. I thank you, Lord. I mean, really, just stupid stuff. I thank you for my dog. I thank you for my wife. You notice how I did the dog and the wife. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for my children. I thank 
I, th- I thank you for my church. I thank you for Chris Redmond. I thank you for David White. I thank you for Ryan Holderman. I thank you for Carmelo. I thank you for Greg. I thank you for David. I thank you for Michael. I thank you for Joey. I thank- and I just start being thankful. Listen, it's the honest truth. It literally is like you get a shot of morphine. Because when you start being thankful, the anxiety leaves, the depression leaves, the hopelessness leaves. When you start verbalizing how thankful, I'm not trying to think about being thankful. You verbalize being thankful. I thank you for the clouds. I thank you for the sun. I thank you for the roaches. I thank you for my grass. I thank you for the car. It will literally tick the devil off when you become thankful because thankfulness staves off the anxiety. And then rather than rolling out of bed going, oh, God, another day. As soon as your feet hit the ground. Lord, I thank you. Today's going to be a good day. Lord, I thank you, Jesus. You're awesome. I praise you. I thank you. Right? Rather than waking up pouty, miserable, I gotta go to work today. A terrible day, my back hurts, my knees hurt, my feet hurt. Get up and be thankful. If you just be thankful. The other day I, I had this rash, it's gotta go, but it, it's hanging out with me a while. I woke up, I was just tired of oh, I'm tired of this rash. Because the moment you scratch it, it's all day long scratching. So it's like I'm gonna scratch, oh I can't. <laughs> And so I just started going through my house just like this. I did exactly this. Oh, thank you, Lord, for my day. Thank you for my daughter. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for the happy, happy, happy life. It wasn't long. My itching was gone. I just was happy, went about my day. Wake up thankful, go to bed thankful. You're welcome. The final one is this. This stings. Do something practical that keeps you moving forward. A lot of God's people always want something spiritual and nothing practical. Anoint me with oil, spit on me, blow on me, wave a coat over me, cast a devil out of me. And a lot of times it's just because you're too lazy to do something practical. Read a book on how to have a better marriage. Pay your credit cards off. That's why you're broke. It's not the devil. Do something practical. All right? Here's what you can do practical. This is going to hurt. <laughs> Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Christians all day long will pick on smoking, weed, alcohol, porn. It's just a sin if you know what to do and refuse to do it. That means if you're sitting here fat, knowing you need to lose weight, but you don't lose weight because you don't want to lose weight, but you know you should lose weight, then it's sin. If you know to fix your marriage, somebody's like, oh, Lord. (laughs) Sweetheart, I'm up here for myself going, oh, Lord. I'm up here right now thinking, I'm in sin. I can't wait to get to communion and ask God to help me. (laughs) Oh, I love you, Agnes. (laughs) At least she was bold enough to go, oh, Lord. Some of you other pudgy people are like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Welcome to the game. (laughs) 
It's a sin to know what to do. So husbands, if you know how to treat her and you still don't do it, you're in sin. If you know, wives, what to do to make him happy and you don't want to do it, it's a sin. Well, I know he likes that, but no. That's a sin. I know he likes meatloaf. I ain't cooking him meatloaf. That's a sin. You welcome, Diana. Come over and sit by her real quick. Diana's like, I should have sat by Robin today. <laughs> she loves me. Right. But I mean, really think about it. Do you really think that's a sin to know what to do and not do it? But that's what I mean by practical. Most of us know what to do. You know you shouldn't say that to your wife, but you did it. You know you shouldn't act that way, but you do it anyway. And, and then you want to know why God's not doing anything. It's because you're in sin. So just ask yourself, and, and this is how spiritual it's about to get. Here's the, what you need to do. I wrote them down one, one, two. Just see if you're paying attention. Cause I don't even know why I preach sometimes. Because that is aggravating my personality, and I'm the one that put it together, and I'm like, oh, how could I miss it too? Number one, do what you know to do, as my daddy would teach me. Number two, if you don't know what to do, ask God what you should do. Number two again, if God doesn't tell you what to do, then go to a professional and let them help you discover what to do. Do what you know to do. I don't know what to do, Mark. Ask God what to do. He doesn't tell me. Go pay a professional and let them help you discover what to do. Just do something. Here's the conclusion. Are you willing to risk the process of all that hurt to live your faith, press into God, expect mercy all along the way, and then remain resilient in that hope? Because that is how you get healed. This is how healing comes. Risk your process, live out your faith, Press into God every day. Expect mercy because there's going to be some bumps. And then just remain resilient to do what you know to do. Amen? Stand and let me pray for you. Hope that helped you. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.